0: This morning, we're wrapping up our uh, sermon series, If the Church Were Christian, because next week we will begin another sermon series for Advent. Makes sense, right? Okay. That being said, I meant to do this last week and I forgot, real quick. Uh, we have flyers here telling you what's going on in the different Sundays of Advent. And it includes this, even though it's not Advent, it includes this Sunday that we're decorating. So there you go. All right. So now that I've given you something to do other than listen. So this morning I was planning on reading from the, um, the, the, one, the version that I've been reading from most recently, which is the New Living Translation. And as I was reading through it again this morning, I realized I don't want to read from the New Living Translation. And since we don't have screens, there you go. (laughs) All right. So what I am going to do is I pulled out my Greek, and um, I'm not going to read it in Greek, but I am going to read it in English. And we're reading from Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read through, let's see, beginning in verse 9 through 15, right? Yeah. All right, so hear these words. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, With you, I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. Or uh, some other ancient manuscripts say, the gospel of the kingdom, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, or the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of these words of the good news. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. It's been quite a morning. Uh, we've been running wide open since we arrived. Um, setting up tables, heating up chili, freaking out about monitors, uh, redoing the, the service um, in light of all of these things. and And now we've reached this time in our service where we are turning to your scriptures, to, to this story of your son. And so I pray that for the next few moments you might slow us down. Not have us thinking about decorating trees and getting started with Advent. and I guess for me, not thinking about having to drive 11 hours Um, but just help us be present together to open ourselves up to your divine presence in this place and I've got so many things running through my head I I just pray that you would uh, give me a clarity of thought so that when I speak it is the words that you have for us And that you might have me behind your cross so that what we experience here today is you, your grace, your mercy, your love, your joy, your justice, your righteousness, your peace. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, the reason I wanted to not read out of the um, New Living Translation this morning is, I came face-to-face with another example of how when we, when we are translating, we cannot help but also interpret. And what we do is we will interpret in light of our uh, theological understanding of what certain things say and what certain things mean. And, and we can't, I mean, it's not a, I'm not I love the New Living Translation. It's really easy to read. It's great. But there are times, and it's in all translations, and it's probably, if I'm going to be honest, I do it too, right? Um, But you take the theological understanding of what you have for something and you read it into rather than allowing the words to speak to. Does does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? So, for example, in in the New Living Translation this morning, it said this. It said, uh, well, I've got it open. It says this. The time promised by God has come at last, which that's not what that says at all there, but he announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Okay, of your sins is not in there. And the way that the New Living Translation is translating it is turning away from something. And what I would argue is that actually what the author is doing is talking about turning towards something. We've made, it's interesting, we've made the announcement of good news into a negative when the original proclaimer meant it as a positive. It's not the kingdom of God is at hand, so be afraid because you could be in trouble. It is the kingdom of God is at hand, rejoice. And and so, what is this kingdom of God? And because the word repent means to turn, right? And so, what the author is saying is turn towards this kingdom of God. And what we've done is we've said he's saying, "Well, turn away from your sins." And that may be. I mean, you can you can apply that. But but let's just take for a moment this idea that what he's talking about, the kingdom of God, and sometimes it's used synonymously with what we would call heaven, but what if the kingdom of God and heaven are referencing the divine presence and being in the divine presence, experiencing the divine presence? And because if you think about what's happening in the story, it says that it's not a dove, that that descended and all of a sudden came out. It was the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus. And who saw it in this particular story? Jesus. It wasn't like a crowd of people saw that Jesus saw. And so Jesus sees the divine presence come down and rest upon him. And what he does is he tells people the kingdom of God is near the divine presence is here and so in our tradition as well as many traditions the heaven is the divine presence and so hell then would be the absence of the divine presence just to play this out for a second what does jesus give his followers his presence, right? He gives them the Holy Spirit. He he, he breathes on them, and they receive. Or uh, or if in, in Luke, uh, when you get into Acts, for Luke, it was on Pentecost, and you have the divine presence. But the div- divine presence shows up. And what that means is that you are carrying with you a little bit of heaven. And so heaven, the... The experience of heaven is only limited to your willingness to accept others into your presence. We can talk more about that later. But the idea here, right, is that heaven has come here. Heaven is something that we can experience for eternity. But heaven is not something that we need to wait for someday when we go there. Because when our focus is on the afterlife rather than this life, what happens is our emphasis shifts to control. Controlling whom God might or might not save, controlling energies and gifts of others, and even controlling what we can and cannot be, uh, what we can and cannot think or be taught, be taught to think. And it seems to me that when we're focused on, what happens is we become focused on soul-saving instead of heaven-experiencing. And when we become focused on soul-saving and securing heavenly rewards, we get ethically out of balance. We live in the grip of fear, and we no longer believe the very words of Jesus that says the kingdom of God is near. We begin to believe the kingdom of God is far off, and I become scared to death that I won't actually be there. And then we're unable to conduct other aspects of our lives in a healthy and gracious manner because we're all so focused on this next life that we forget to live this one well. And then fear and infatuation with the next life can get in the way of being gracious in this one. There's no room for graciousness if heaven is something that I have to someday, I have to be able to try to earn so that one day I can get there. In focusing on the afterlife, we inadvertently neglect to properly engage and nurture this present life. It becomes a waiting room. When I'm just looking for something. Have you ever been in the airport and you realize, man, I got here way too long. Like, I, I, I got here way too early for my flight, right? Like, I, we have done this so many times because of heightened security, right? And you're like, man, I'm going to have to get through security. I better leave like three hours, before my flight. And we live like 20 minutes from, 15, 20 minutes from the airport. And so, you know, all of a sudden you're there and it's like, oh my gosh, two and a half hours before my flight. What am I going to do? And so what you do is you wander around. You just wander. Oh man, I'm going to get something to eat. Why? Because I need something to eat. You know, (laughs) Jeff, you just ate. (laughs) I know, right? Okay. (laughs) Well, what else are you going to do? Oh, look at shops. I can go to shops now, right? And I'm going to shop. I was, I was in a layover one time in Belgium, and I'm shopping for clothes. By the way, an extra large in Europe is different. <laughs> All right? I'm just saying. But what you do at, when you're waiting is you just look for ways to entertain yourself. And that's what happens with our life. If all we're doing is thinking that we're waiting to go to heaven, we wander around feeding ourselves and entertaining ourselves for when life can actually get started. And while I think, I need to say this, I think it's dangerous to overemphasize the afterlife, but I'm not trying to diminish the importance of hope. Okay? There are moments when this life is so difficult that to long for an afterlife of bliss is completely understandable. The problem is you can't live your whole life that way. So while afterlife imagery can be comforting when this life grows difficult, it becomes unhelpful when our dreams and visions of an alternative world so dominate our minds and priorities that we're unable to live well and fully in this world. Does anybody watch, man, this just popped into my head. I'm sorry about this. Anybody watch The Good Life? You need to watch it if you haven't watched it. It's on Netflix. It's it's fantastic. It's about what happens when you die. The Good Place. Yeah, sorry about that, Corey. Thank you for catching me. I can always count on Corey to point out my mistakes for me. (laughs) The Good Place. The Good Place. And now, let's do that again. Anybody ever watch The Good Place? All right, you got you to gotta watch it. It's fantastic. And um, it's a whole point system. Who gets to go to the, who gets to go to the afterlife? Who gets to go, In the afterlife, who gets to go to the good place? It's a whole point system. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but there's a problem with the point system. <laughs> All right? Um, but could, could you imagine living your life as if the whole thing was based on a point system to, to determine whether or not you're going to get in or get out? Or is that even not hard to imagine at all because that's the way you currently live? <laughs> hmm, brownie points. I think, I think not only right does our preoccupation with an afterlife run the risk of causing us to neglect our present lives, it ultimately makes us self-absorbed as the goal of our faith becomes our own eternal well-being. Quaker William Penn wrote this. True godliness does not turn men, people, out of the world, but enables them to live better in it and excites their endeavors to mend it. Do you, do you understand what he's? I know it's kind of dated, the, the language. True godliness doesn't turn us away from... I'm, I'm kind of trying to update this a little bit. True, true godliness doesn't turn us away from the world, but enables us to live better in it and it excites us gets, us, gets us excited about the possibility of fixing it. And it sounds a little bit like what William Penn is writing. He might be taking from John chapter 17, where, Je- where Jesus talks about his disciples you're still in the world, you're just not of the world, you're actually of the kingdom. You're actually already kingdom people. So what if we took Penn's words and John's and Jesus seriously and found ourselves excited at the prospect of mending this world rather than escaping it? What if we truly believed we have been given the opportunity to partner with Jesus in bringing the kingdom of God to this world? to increasing the divine presence in this world. In every culture, there are persons who fill the position of community elders. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Right? These are men and women whose wisdom, generosity, or spirit, uh, their wide concern and inclusive love, equip them to care for people beyond their own kith and kin. Their goal is not just the well-being of their family and friends. They want the global community to prosper and do well. This reminds me of Matthew chapter 5. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Ideally, our religious community should be full of such people, inspiring and equipping others to expand their worldview. We should be desiring to become those people. I can, I was thinking about this, right? Like, I can, I can name, I can name people. Because I was thinking about, like, who are, who are the elders that I know? Um, I decided not to name them. Except one. Um, it was, it's my grandfather. My, uh, my grandpa, Franson. This, uh, so, he's not in here this morning. Lucas and I, uh, about for about a month now, have been doing this podcast. And it's called Living on Common Ground. And uh, this week, what we decided to do, rather than us talking, uh, we, I edited a recording that I had made, well, my, I asked my mom to make, my grandfather from at least probably about 22 years ago, maybe. So my grandfather was born in 1919, lived through the Depression as a kid, and then um, was drafted and fought in World War II in in, uh, France and southern Germany. And in the interview, as I was listening to it and editing it, I realized that almost N- almost unintentionally, there's a lot of things that my grandfather stood for and believed that have become core to who I am today. Um, he tells this story, and, I, and I've shared it with you before, but he tells a story about when they had taken prisoners, and he, and he is responsible for taking the personal belongings off of prisoners. And this is, in the, this is in the podcast. It's a recording. In fact, Denise and I listened to it last night in the driveway before we went back in the house. And uh, he talks about that there. uh, this wasn't SS. And he came across this one soldier, and he had a picture of his family in it, and he put the picture back in the man's pocket, and he patted him. And he said, "Um, it's over for you now. It's over for you now. Like, the war's over for you. And that's yours, you keep it. And then he, he got quiet, and he said, you realize and I'm paraphrasing here but I never let hate take hold of my heart Um, and that I was always able to see people not as the enemy and I thought man that might be part of the reason that I am like so committed to community into trying to see people. Um, he talked about community, and he talked about growing up in the Depression, and how he himself, he said, I don't, like, we never felt like we were missing out on something, because my dad was always able to go out every day and find some kind of work, and we ate, and we didn't know we were poor. The adults did, right, but we didn't. But, but there are other people too, right? And, and I don't want to, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on. And I'm sure that hopefully in your mind, you've got those people right now in your mind who have inspired you to expand your worldview, to become more gracious, to become more kind, to be more embracing, to love your neighbor as yourself, to not just love those who love you, But what's going to happen if we're not those people? Who's going to inspire the next ones? Are we going to leave it up to chance? Or are we going to carry on what Jesus says? Are we going to be able to look at people and say, hear the good news. The divine presence is near. It's here. Come, come be part of it. Our Bible tells us God sent his son to save this world, not condemn it. John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God does not easily dismiss this life and world. So too, we as God's people shouldn't. If God cared so much about this world that he sent his only son, what are we doing ignoring it? Because if God is seen as being able to it, here's, here's, here's the if God is seen, if we believe God is, is able to easily dismiss this life in this world, then we're going to become that too. Our indifference will eventually be seen as saintly. if we believe that God is all about leaving this world, then my indifference actually makes me saintly. But if the church were Christian, we would do what Jesus did. That's been the whole point of this entire series. We would do what Jesus did. We would equip one another to live better in this world and stop fretting about the next one. To study the Gospels is to encounter a man who cared deeply about this life. His passion for justice, mercy, and grace, they shone through his words and his works. An immediacy, a sense of urgency marked his movement. This was not a man bent on winning souls for some far off heaven on some distant day. When his disciples asked him how to pray, he told them to pray that God's kingdom would come to earth. Now was the day of salvation. And what was that salvation? It was the day when all of humanity would be so imbued with God's presence that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Salvation would be when heaven was in us. Not when we were in heaven. It would happen when we stopped worrying about saving our own skin and cared more about our neighbor. Amen.